I'm John Crawl. On today's No Limits, we're going to talk about dyslexia. We're going to explore what dyslexia is and how many people are affected by it. We're going to talk about learning strategies to deal with dyslexia and other ways to put young people and others on the path to success. My guests are Nancy Perry and Cheryl Clemens, both of Decoding Dyslexia Indiana and both certified in Orton-Gillingham Reading Instruction. We're also joined by Joshua Clemens, who is Cheryl's son and is dyslexic himself. Please join the conversation. Call 866-476-3881. Email is nolimitswfyi.org. Facebook is No Limits WFYI. Twitter is WFYI. Now, this news. Welcome to No Limits. I am John Crawl, director of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, publisher of the StatehouseFile.com, and your host. We're going to be talking today about dyslexia. If you'd like to join the conversation, please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. You can send us an email at nolimits at wfyi.org. Find us on Facebook at No Limits WFYI or on Twitter at WFYI. And I should say that this program like many we have done, is part of American Graduate. That is a a shared initiative with the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and many public broadcasting stations, including WFYI. It is designed to leverage the power of public broadcasting and public communication to help put young people on the path to graduation and successful lives. My guests today are Nancy Perry and Cheryl Clemens, both of Decoding Dyslexia Indiana, and Joshua Clemens, who is Cheryl's son. He's a dyslexic student from Lutheran High School. I'm pretty sure that's not the way they really identify you, though, Joshua. It's, it's usually like, just Lou High. Lou High, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lou High. Well, welcome to all of you, and I, it probably should be student with dyslexia rather than dyslexic student. It shouldn't define you in that fashion. I will try to make sure that we do that. Well, I want to get started here. Um, as I explained before we went on the air, I don't like to make the assumption that that people know things. I do this drill when I'm teaching where I will say to uh, my students, okay, if anything I've just said uh, you don't understand, look down at the floor now as a way of not forcing them to put the hands up or whatever. can't do that over the radio because I can't see the hands. But let's start by talking about what dyslexia is. And I'll start with Nancy on that one. Thank you. Dyslexia is a neurobiological learning difference that affects how a student, how a, how a person processes the, the language that they, um, that they have. The International Dyslexia Association, which is a, a research body that we look to greatly, says that it is a specific learning disability, and that is how we oftentimes refer to it in school, though specifically it is defined as dyslexia. And it's neurological in origin. It's characterized with difficulty with accurate or fluent word recognition, and then poor spelling, decoding, written expression. Those tend to be the key factors that you see. Yeah, one of the the ways I've always looked at it is that, it, it you know, for whatever reason, some of the letters or the symbols, and we tend to forget that language, at least written language, is, is, is low, you know, a series of symbols that we have all agreed upon have meaning. Um, you know, that 
P makes this sound or whatever, uh, that people um, scramble, the, the brain kind of scrambles those symbols. Is, is that the case, Cheryl? I think one thing we have to look at is it's not low IQ. So no, some people no. often think, you know, it's low IQ. So it's represented it's by It's actually people. the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. People like S- Steve Jobs and Charles Schwab are known dyslexics. Um, but really it's, it's the way the brain processes information. And um, typically the processing of language is on the left side of the brain. And through functional MRI images, they have seen that... Um, People with dyslexia, uh, the MRI doesn't light up in the same way as good readers, so they rely heavily towards the Broca's region of the brain. So I wouldn't say that the letters get mixed up in there. It just takes information, takes a different route of processing. Joshua, how long have you known you were dyslexic? Um, Since about third grade. Third grade? Yeah. Okay, walk me through the process, uh, if you can remember. I know it's been a few years, and I should say Joshua is far from third grade now. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a rather robust young man. Um, walk me through, uh, because the the friends and students I have had who have had dyslexia speak of the frustration that they experienced before they were diagnosed. That you know, So if you could... Take me through, um, did you start school in kindergarten or did you do Yeah, pre- I started school in kindergarten. Okay, take me through what kindergarten, first, and second grade were like, where so, you're really building those building blocks. Okay, so in kindergarten, I was, I was having trouble reading. I couldn't read by second grade. It became to the point where the teacher said that I could read, but I just refused not to. I was not trying hard enough. And how did how did you come to discover that you were dyslexic? Um, I had a tutor who then recommended having outside testing, and then once I had the outside testing, that's how I figured out that I was dyslexic. Okay, and, and Nancy or Cheryl, uh, what sort of testing do you do to to identify dyslexia? What form does that take? Either one of you. Cheryl, you're making eye contact, and Nancy's looking at you, so I'm assuming. <laughs> oh, okay. that, <laughs> well, you do a full educational way. evaluation through Yeah, a, but walk me through what, what that looks like, what what sort of uh, things you test or, or look for. Okay, so for I should say, I, I should add mm-hmm. this. So when Joshua was in first grade, it was towards the end of first grade that his teacher said to me, I want you to know that any time Joshua has to read, he cries. Oh. And so for me, that was a warning. Yeah. So... Um, but what happened between first and second then was there's an there's an indication that mm, he can do this. He just um, isn't willing to or he doesn't want to because when you're looking around the room, it doesn't appear that you're focused on what you're doing. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, and so we did outside testing. Many times the school will do testing, but they'll often wait until a child is about two-plus years behind before they do testing. Um, We're fortunate we could afford the outside testing, and they do a complete um, IQ testing because they want to show that it isn't low cognitive Mm -hmm. ability. And then um, rapid naming, there's, there's probably 10 different tests that go into the actual testing to say, hmm, this looks like dyslexia. And, uh, you know, uh, Joshua, the, the fact that, that 
obviously you were having an emotional reaction every time you were asked to read in, in the first grade, gets to one of the costs of not being able to diagnose this quickly, quickly enough, and that is, you know, the <laughs> it sounds like there were there were some blows to your self-esteem at, yeah. at, at that point. So, Nancy, what are some of the other costs that that come with not identifying dyslexia and coming up with a learning plan for it quickly? Well, when I have tutored students, oftentimes these students will come into tutoring with me and they will say, you know, they feel like they're dumb. That's mm -hmm. what they're internalizing, that there's this big mysterious code that everybody knows and somehow there's this secret that they've not been let in on. Um, and then, so you, as a tutor, we do a lot to um, change that voice, mm -hmm. change that internal message, um, so that they can see, that they can see their gifts and talents. And unfortunately, they miss their gifts and talents if they listen to that voice too much. And then the world around misses that. And you might end up with a student who's a freshman who's never been identified, and they've always been labeled, but not appropriately. They've been labeled as that child who doesn't want to try, who's lazy, who doesn't give it his or her all. And so that is a, is a great cost. We often then see these children, um, it's not uncommon to drop out. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then there's that there are options are, yeah, there are yeah. options are limited mm -hmm. after after that point. And Cheryl alluded to this, and we sort of alluded in conversation, but we should say uh, intelligence as we traditionally understand it, we now also have a, a much more sophisticated understanding of what intelligence, intelligence is <laughs> than we did a few years ago. Um, but as we traditionally understand it, most often isn't the problem here right. either. Um, in fact, most dyslexic uh, people with dys dyslexia, in fact, have at least average and, and can have, in fact, phenomenally high traditional IQs. Mm -hmm. We are talking about dyslexia here on No Limits. If you would like to join the conversation, you can send us an email at nolimits at wfyi.org. Find us on Facebook at No Limits WFYI, on Twitter at WFYI, or you can do what a listener named Barbara has done and give us a call at 866-476-3881. Barbara, welcome to the program. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. What's on your mind? I'm 75 years old. I'm a retired teacher. I taught at MacArthur Elementary for 35 years. And uh, when I was in third and fourth grade, I was called Dumb and Dutchy. And by the time I got to eighth grade, I was, you know, in a shell. And Miss Brumfield told me I learned differently. She said, oh, here, let's try this, let's try that. And uh, so it changed my life. And uh, I'm also an aerospace specialist now, all because of Miss Brumfield saying, oh, you learn differently. And when I was a teacher, this one child uh, was aggressive, but he was put in my room and in the first day of school, I wrote everything on the board backwards because I'm also reverse vision. And he stood up and yelled, I'm getting A's because I'd written, if you can read, just stand up and say you have A's. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for, for calling in and sharing your, your story, Barbara. 
I really okay. appreciate it. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. So moments like that, though, are critical here. Um, you know, the intervention mm-hmm. of a teacher, uh, you know, just that conversation with a teacher to, to Cheryl about, about Joshua um, is important. Joshua, I'm going to add, and I don't want to push you past your comfort zone because, okay. you know, you're, you, we try to have a friendly atmosphere here, but you are talking to thousands of strangers. <laughs> okay. Radio, okay? <laughs> um, so I, I want to be, be sensitive to that. But how, uh, you know, during that time um, when you were struggling, because I presume now you know you're an intelligent and capable young yeah. man and all of that sort of stuff, it sounds like, though, you weren't feeling that way when you were in first grade. You know, what did that feel like going to school day after day? I after dreaded day? it every single day. You dread And, you know, what did you try talking with... Uh, with your parents or with your teachers or anyone about it, or was it something that you were just so embarrassed? I think it was mostly embarrassed. It's kind of hard to remember because I've tried to block it out of my was that mind, pa- so. It was that painful that you want to block it out? Um, some of it, yeah. And, you know, in terms of when, when you were told then after the diagnosis, okay, this is, you're not dumb. In, in effect, Barbara's, Barbara's story here. You just mm-hmm. learn differently than, than other people. How did that feel? I felt like a sigh of relief because I was able to get the right help to be it. So, like, I couldn't read before. And um, in the testing, they t- the person who did it told me to get Orton-Gillingham. And with the Orton-Gillingham, I went two reading levels up in seven months of tutoring. Mm -hmm. So being able to finally feel like I'm reading more was a huge sigh of relief. What is Orton-Gillingham? It's a multisensory systematic explicit phonetic approach to learning to read. And if you go back clear to the reading panel... um, it's actually recommended that we all learn in this way. I'm going to, uh, not to be disrespectful, but okay. I'm going to ask you to, to to break that out of education speak into the way real people talk. <laughs> okay. okay, so okay. when, when so, you say that, what it what Okay, is so it? multisensory, Give there's three pathways. So okay. we use the, um, the hearing, the vision, and the audit. Uh, the auditory, the visual, and the The kinesthetic. So when we introduce, for example, let's say a vowel team of OA, Mm -hmm. we do all three at the same time. OA says O, OA says O, using all three pathways. pathways. Because oftentimes a student who is dyslexic, because we had mentioned the pathway to retain information, is they're wired differently. So that pathway is a little more cumbersome, and they need more repetition. So if we can hit with all three pathways at the same time, we run a big chance. We are talking about dyslexia here on No Limits. My guests are Nancy Perry and Cheryl Clemens, both of Decoding Dyslexia Indiana, and Joshua Clemens, who's Cheryl's son. He's a student with dyslexia from Lutheran High School. If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. Please stay with us.
Welcome back to No Limits. I am John Kroll, director of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, publisher of the statehousefile.com, and your host. We're talking about dyslexia today. It's part of our ongoing American graduate conversation we do in partnership with Corporation for Public Broadcasting. It's designed to leverage the power of public television radio stations uh, to help put people, uh, young people in particular, on the path to graduation and success in life. My guests are Nancy Perry and Cheryl Clemens, both of Decoding Dyslexia Indiana, and Joshua Clemens, who's Cheryl's son. He is a student with dyslexia from Lutheran High School. We still have not talked about how many people are affected by this. Uh, presumably, Joshua is not the only person in the world who's ever had to deal with this. So, so uh, could you give me, uh, and I'll start with Cheryl on this one, some idea of the numbers of people who are involved? Yes, according to the NIH and the Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity, dyslexia affects one out of five children. In my family, it affects three of my four children. Is it hereditary? runs yes. through families. So it runs through family. We think that there's probably something genetic. Yes. Some yes. part of the coding that, that goes along. So one in five, 20%, we're doing the conversion here yep. to, uh, and all of that. How many of those folks are actually identified along the way? Nancy, I'll throw that one your way. Um, they estimate perhaps only one-third of dyslexic students are ever identified, and oftentimes they are identified late. Um, third grade, eighth grade, those tend to be some some of the big years for identification. And, go ahead. And, of course, early identification is what is key mm-hmm. because if you can identif- identify early and intervene appropriately, 95% of reading failure or reading difficulties is preventable. And so we should, in my opinion, be identifying when we do those kindergarten roundups, when we do those uh, preschool uh, programs, that is a perfect time to identify and intervene so that these children can succeed along with their grade level peers and never experience that gap in frustration. So there, can I say Go ahead. Yeah, so there's please. a Joe Torgerson study that says that if you bring a child up to grade level, um, by the end of second grade, he will. Um, continue on with his peers. However, if that intervention doesn't occur before the end of second grade, comprehension, you can bring that up to grade level, but your fluency takes a big hit. And so that can result in a lifelong disability. And all of the other psychological and emotional things that go go along with that. Is there a, a point of no return on this? Is there a point where if we don't catch it, there's not much that can be done about it? I know of tutors who tutor people in their 70s. Mm-hmm. So if you're using multisensory systematic explicit phonics, for, it works. Um, yes. One of my friend's tutors, and he is tutoring somebody in their late 80s, or late, late 70s, early 80s. So I'm an optimist, and I don't feel it's ever too late. So uh, we need to identify these young people earlier. What are the telltale signs, the things that, uh, that uh, you know, and presumably this shouldn't all fall to teachers or educate, right. you know, as parents, uh, even siblings, we can, we can look to see if we can identify what's going on. What are the telltale signs that sig- signal we might be dealing with dyslexia? Cheryl. 
So one of the first signs isn't so much what they're doing, but it's what they're not doing. So very early on, they're usually slow to begin speaking, not significantly so, but a little bit. And a lot of times if they're boys, we tend to think, oh, well, he's a boy, so, you know, he's just speaking a little bit later. Um, Then as they approach where you think that they should be able to learn the alphabet, they're not learning the letters, names, followed by then letter sounds. So my youngest of three um, that Mm. are dyslexic, my youngest son, he was putting together circuits, so like open circuits, closed circuits, parallel circuits, electrical circuits at the age of four, but he could not learn the letter names of the alphabet. So being that he was the third child, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I recognized it was dyslexia. (laughs) Recognized the signs. And when we do intervene um, with this, what... uh, what steps does that take? So we took immediately when I finally realized that, well, if you have one sibling who's diagnosed um, with SLD, um, then 50% of the other siblings are at risk of also having that. Then seeing that, we started Orton Gillingham the year before he started kindergarten. So he has really not struggled to read. In fact, he's probably reading more in the 70-some percentile, um, according to his reading scores. But now writing and spelling, those still are challenges. Are tricky. We are talking about dyslexia here on No Limits. If you would like to join the conversation, please send us an email at nolimits at wfyi.org. You can find us on Facebook at No Limits WFYI, on Twitter at WFYI, Or you can do what a listener named William has done and give us a call at 866-476-3881. William, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much. Certainly. Uh, What's on your mind? Well, I'm a dyslexic, and um, you were just talking about how it it runs in the family, and um, my my son is also dyslexic. And, uh, you know, one thing that's that's been a frustration is that the the school system, the the testing culture... um, it likes to treat every student um, the same. I mean, we, we have we have an IEP and we have accommodations, um, but it's like it's like the uh, the, the school system um, um, through the testing culture really you know wants every student to perform exactly um, the, the same um, you know, with re- regard to reading. And it's um, you know it's been it, you know I think it needs to be a uh, you know, like a big shift in the uh, from the testing culture to you know, to accommodate um, you know the one in one in five uh, dyslexic students that, um, that 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 are going through the um, the school system. Thanks very much for the call and for sharing your story, William. Thank you. We appreciate it. So, how would we change the school system and the testing culture so that it would be both more beneficial to to students with dyslexia and presumably uh, you know more efficient and productive Nancy I'll start with you on that one I think one key change would be to train teachers um, you know so many teachers as I've participated in training with other trainers there's this aha moment and they can just see a sea of students who have been in their class before thinking that's that's what was going on and now I know how I could have identified and helped so teacher training is important because 
you know, two-thirds of those dyslexic students will never be identified through the IEP process. So that's a big thing. We probably ought to break down what IEP is. Yes, yeah. yes, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. We live in this yeah. world all the time. Yeah, we, we forget. Probably, well, and I, I actually let it go by the first time and yes. realized because I live in that world too. Yes. Yeah. Good question. An IEP is an individualized education plan. So a team, um, a case conference team has gotten together, and that usually includes a school psychologist, school speech pathologist, a teacher, and then they look at all of these data points for a student, and then they come up with, they identify needs, needs drive goals, goals drive services. So if, for example, my students, my two sons who are dyslexic, they struggle in written expression. And so we had a goal of being able to write a five-paragraph essay because we have the, the end-of-course assessments uh, in high school that will determine their graduation. And so we needed that need drove a goal, and that goal drove a service, and so, uh, or the services provided. And so that is what the IEP process ideally is, is being really specific with what that individual student need is. Unfortunately, sometimes we hide kids under an umbrella, and we don't always, the umbrella term of specific learning disability, and we don't always get to that need specifically, um, because the SLD category is a very broad category and sometimes can miss the mark with a dyslexic student specifically. I've gotten an email question from a listener named Sammy, and if you would like to reach out to us by email, you can find us at no limits at WFYI.org. Sammy says, what should I do if I suspect my child is dyslexic? Where can I go for information or resources? And how early can I get my child tested? Cheryl? I'd, I'd like to say if you have the resources, you can seek outside testing. Um, you can talk to your school's principal and his teacher uh, to try to encourage them to get testing. Um, I would start developing the data to support why you think that he needs testing. So therefore, if there's Dibbles data or Ames Web data, data around reading um, that specifically show that there's a gap in where where he's at, um, it's it's not it's sometimes a challenge to get that testing. I've also gotten an email that might be on point here uh, from a listener named. Uh, Adam, um, who says, hello, so great you are talking about dyslexia on your show. Thanks for educating the public and spreading awareness. Can you please let your listeners know if they want further information, teacher training, or individual multisensory instruction services to please visit the Dyslexia Institute of Indiana website at www.din. I didn't add an extra I in there. <laughs> www.din.com. Dot org, And then he also says, please call if you have questions. Are there other resources out there, yes. that, that places people can go, URLs where they can get information? Uh, DII is certainly a place that, that uh, we send parents uh, and teachers as well. There's the International Dyslexia Association and the Indiana branch of the IDA. They offer teacher training in the summer. Um, in structured literacy, Orton-Gillingham approach. And then um, we also refer 
people to the Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity. There is a school in Indianapolis known as Fortune Academy, and they also do some screenings as well, and they are good about publicizing when those things happen. We also refer families to the Scottish Rite. Yes. Um, they, you can have tutoring, multisensory systematic explicit phonetic intervention through the Scottish Rite, and it's free. It is. Which is a great asset to the community. Um, and the M.A. Rooney Foundation is a foundation that's um, dedicated to training teachers in K through 2 in this uh, approach from a classroom perspective. And so they are training large groups of teachers around Indiana. Joshua, I'm going to ask a, a, a question. What do you uh, do? You ever think about what your life would be like if this hadn't been spotted? I would probably. I mean, judging by other people who don't get testing, probably, you know, I'd probably be failing instead of excelling. Um, I may have dropped out based on other peoples who haven't been. Who, who have struggled with yeah. this. We've gotten a, an email um, from our friend Travis DiNicola, who's uh, the executive director of Indy Reads and the host oh, yeah. of WFYA's um, The Art of the Matter and has been a guest on this show several times. So, so glad you are having this great conversation today. Please note that there are many adults who are dyslexic who never receive help as students mm -hmm. and often don't even know they are dyslexic. We estimate that almost half of the 1,350 adults Indy Reads works with every year have some form of dyslexia which makes it very difficult for them to learn to read as adults, which gets to, I think, the point you were making about early intervention being mm -hmm. key. If it's not spotted, the mm -hmm. costs just continue to mount. Right, mm -hmm. Nancy? Yes. Um, and then we've gotten uh, another email from a listener named Megan with a slightly different perspective. And, again, if you want to reach out to us by email, you can find us at nolimits at wfyi.org. Megan says, while I appreciate all the efforts made to help students with dyslexia and other learning disabilities, I continue to be bothered by the fact that it is so important for all students to perform the same in specific areas of study. As someone who experienced the hardships of having a learning disability, I never understood why so much effort was put into making me a better mathematician when I never saw other students being forced to be better artists. Is there truth to that observation, would you say, Cheryl? Maybe there is some truth. Um, you need to have a certain level of math skill to be able to get through life. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'm not sure you need that level for art. Um, but it definitely when it comes to like algebra ECAs and some of the higher level math, I kind of agree with her that... Um, now, does... Uh, Presumably, Sorry? because uh, because numbers are symbols as well, at least the written right. numerals and all of that. Does dys dyslexia affect that, or you know, or, or do we call that dysnumeric or, or whatever? There is what's called dyscalculi, but okay. you can uh, dyslexics often have trouble with rote memorization of math facts, so they may understand higher level math skills. But if I asked what seven times eight. There would, might be a struggle. <laughs> um, so we learn, we teach them in a different way to do that. We are talking about dyslexia here on No Limits. If you'd like to join the conversation, please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. Sue, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Certainly. My, 
my wife is 54, and she's dyslexic, and she was never treated in school. They dumped her into special ed in junior high school and just called her a dummy. But she has succeeded in, in that she is an aircraft inspector. But reading is still hard for her, and she'd like to read for pleasure. And I just wonder, is it reasonable to hope that we could do something now to help her with that? Yes. Absolutely. Thanks very much for the call. We'll see if we can get you an answer, Sue. Yeah, sure. Please step Sorry. in. No, that's okay. Don't apologize. You were trying to help. Sorry. Her. You're trying to Absolutely. help. Absolutely. You need to find somebody who's trained in Orton Gillingham, which is a multisensory systematic explicit phonetic approach. DII tutors adults. Um, I think Scottish Rights only children, but there are also private tutors. Um, also and if tutor. you reach out to um, Decoding Dyslexia Indiana yeah. and well, let us know what part of the state you're in, we can, we do know of private tutoring. How do, uh, if people want to reach out to you, how do they go about doing that? Um, you can reach out to us. The best way is through our Facebook page okay. and through uh, Twitter. We're okay. act, very active on both of those platforms. Okay. And do you have a URL at all or just a, an email uh, any place where they can they can find you traditionally. We the, do. I do not have that committed to memory, but I will get out our business card and let you know. <laughs> uh, okay. we, 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 we we are coming up on a break, so we'll we'll uh, we will get that promise. We will get that to you, Sue, after the break. Um, and speaking of that, uh, we've gotten an email listen uh, email from a listener named Nicole, who says, your listeners might be interested to hear that a not-for-profit in Broad Ripple offers educational advocacy and consultation for families dealing with learning disabilities. Its name is Disability Legal Services of Indiana. Are you familiar with that group, the, the two no. of you? Well, you know, in terms of, of all of this, and I guess real quickly, are there differences between the way we have to teach children and adults in dealing with Dyslexia, you're shaking your head, Cheryl. Is it really the same approach at any age? I would say it's the same approach. I wouldn't start with, like, the word cat. I'd probably teach a syllable pattern first and then, yes, you would match what, um, you would start in a more complicated morphology. So you might start with a root and, and or a syllable pattern, yes. And you always do an evaluation to see exactly where your student is at. So you're kind of looking at the gaps and what they have. We are talking about dyslexia here on No Limits. My guests are Nancy Perry and Cheryl Clemens from Decoding Dyslexia and Cheryl's son, Joshua. I'm John Kroll. Please stay with us. Welcome to No Limits. I am John Crawl, director of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, publisher of the statehousefile.com, and your host. Today on No Limits, we're continuing our conversation about education as part of the American Graduate Series, which attempts to leverage the power of public broadcasting to help set people on the paths to graduation and successful lives. Today, we're talking about dyslexia. Uh, my guests are Nancy Perry and Cheryl Clemens, both of Decoding Dyslexia Indiana, and Joshua Clemens, who's Cheryl's son. He's a student with dyslexia from Lutheran High School. Before we went to the break, a caller, na- listener named Sue called in um, and asked if there were places she could go for help and all of that. Uh, we got the Facebook and Twitter information for Decoding Dyslexia, but you also can go to... Uh, 
well, you can send an email to decodingdyslexiaindiana at gmail.com. It looks like there's also a website, decodingdyslexiain.wix.com. So we hope that information is useful. We'll try to get that up on our Facebook page as well so that, that anyone who needs it can find it. Again, we are talking about dyslexia. If you'd like to join the conversation, please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Hi, yes. I um, wanted to thank Josh for telling his story. I have a nine-year-old who's basically going through the same thing. But I wanted to go back to the way that the schools diagnose or the way that they handle once the child is um, diagnosed, the way that they, they will not say the word dyslexia. They will not give specifics on exactly how to help the child. Um, they're just all put under this general disability and learning. And is there anything currently going on within the state? I know the IEP or the uh, ISEP and that kind of things are, are have been voted out. But are there any current things happening that they know the panel knows of that is addressing the fact that these students are just lumped instead of really actually helped for their specific learning disability, not just given the term specific. Um, and then the, um, the last question I wanted to put forward was with my nine-year-old, he really wants to know other students who have his specific learning uh, style. And he's not allowed to know that necessarily because of privacy. Um, and I know there is a camp um, that uh, goes on during the summer. So we're looking into that for him. Um, but is there any way that the schools can address allowing these children to know each other? Or do you know anything about that? Thanks very much for, for the call and the question, Jennifer. I'll throw <laughs> that one you. to Nancy first. Um, as far as addressing and calling dyslexia specifically by name, the federal government through the um, Office of Education did issue a guidance letter in October that says schools, you can say the word dyslexia and should. And so there is that, that federal guidance letter. So get letter. a copy of that letter and take it with you to your IEP yes. meeting. <laughs> Another um, guidance letter to have on hand is the guidance letter that says schools, please don't delay educational testing because you, say, you are telling a parent they are in an RTI process um, because early identification is key and the RTI process is ongoing, so we don't. We want to get at this right away and not delay. So those two guidance letters, say dyslexia and don't delay, are two important ones to have on hand. As far as support groups, I, w I would I would recommend we have a closed group of parents on Facebook um, that you can ask to be included in as long as you have children with dyslexia and it's a good opportunity to meet other parents and you might find also that parents are at, from your school are already in that group there's over 300 I think there's close to 400 parents from all over Indiana in that group but we also sometimes then meet because you get to know each other in that way gotten uh, an email from a listener named John, and if you'd like to reach out to us by email, you can find us at nolimits at wfyi.org. John says, hello, I am a school psychologist, and I wanted to comment on your dyslexia program or specific learning disability, as we refer to it in schools. 
I take issue with the Orton-Gillingham method being promoted as this has never been proven to be effective in research studies. This is not a method or intervention that shows positive gains in peer-reviewed research journals. There are many methods that can be effective and are typically in use during the RTI process in schools. Response to intervention, he says, thank you for your time. I just want parents to be educated and not be given false hope in this program. Obviously, the two of you are believers in Orton-Gillingham. I'll give you a chance to respond. Who would like to go first, Nancy? It's, it's our so. understanding that the that the um, the DOE for the U.S. DOE is working on a toolkit to be used by schools, which will include programs that use and again we'll use the words multisensory systematic explicit phonetic approach. That includes things like Wilson, uh, Lyndon Rubell. There's some other programs. That's a that's a. Um, Another question we've gotten from another listener named John who says, uh, your patients mentioned Orton-Gillingham several times. Any comment on Linda Mood Bell? Nancy? It's an Orton-Gillingham-based. Um, Orton-Gillingham is an approach. So there are several um, other things based on that gold standard. Um, and so there are, there are, in fact, many good things out there. Um, but the key is the multi-sensory. But the key is all of this. <laughs> explicit. We've gotten an email uh, from a listener who says, my son was diagnosed with central auto- auditory processing disorder in second grade. His presentation of symptoms was identical to those being described as having dyslexia. Are we talking about the same condition with dyslexia being an educational diagnosis and central auditory processing being more neurological in definition? He is graduating from high school next week and will be attending Purdue West Lafayette. He still has deficits in spelling and writing skills. He did have Orton-Gillingham tutoring for several years, starting in second grade. I don't is know. it the same thing? I don't know specifically about her mm-hmm. son. Um, some of our students do have auditory processing issues, so so they can look very similar. And it, it also depends on who did the assessments and what is their depth of understanding of the nuances of dyslexia. We are talking about dyslexia here on No Limits. If you'd like to join the conversation, please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. Mary, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank Sir. you for taking my call and thank you for this conversation. I um, just wanted to say that I'm a retired teacher of over 30 years, and for the first 28 years, I did not know what to do with students who came into my classroom and couldn't read, and so they left my classroom and couldn't read at the end of the year. So it was um, it was by God's grace that I was told by three different people that I needed to get myself to Butler University and take an Orton-Gillingham class, and when I did that and then instituted it in my classroom in 1998, it changed my life as a teacher, and it changed the lives of my students. Um, I have since then begun to tutor individually and train teachers on a very low scale. But I, uh, I wanted to thank um, your panelists for telling us about how to get teacher training. I also am concerned about people who, because I wasn't trained in the university to know what dyslexia is and how to remediate it, I'm wondering what's available. Are there any universities that are training pre-service teachers um, about dyslexia and how to remediate? Good question. Thanks very much for the call and the question, Mary. 
Welcome. Well, I'll throw that one to Nancy. Um, through the International Dyslexia Association, they have developed a knowledge and practice standards that outlines what good literacy instruction looks like. And um, structured literacy with a multisensory uh, approach is what um, what is um, in that that report. Um, there are universities who do teach structured literacy. That is part of House Bill 1108 that passed a couple of years ago that says that our um, service centers may provide that training uh, in structured literacy. So um, if schools are interested, uh, reaching out to IDA, um, the Indiana IDA, um, would certainly be a good place to start and then they could make arrangements with those nine service centers in Indiana to provide teacher training as well. We are talking about dyslexia. Catherine, welcome to the program. Hi. Um, I had, um, when I was younger, I had um, necrotizing fasciitis, and because of that, I have a brain disorder, and so I have short-term memory impairment. And when I was in school, a public school, um, they diagnosed me as dyslexic. However, um, that caused a lot of problems because it wasn't really dyslexic. That was my issue. I had short-term memory. And so then um, I had a real hard time in public school, and it was this real miserable time. And then I switched to private school, and they introduced me to Orton-Gillingham. And I feel like that just changed my whole life with schooling, and I was able to go to college, and I graduated from college. And just Orton Gillingham really just kind of saved my schooling. And I was wondering, how can we, how is it that, I just feel like people in my school um, just really took off with it. How can we just integrate it into the public school system and help kids like me progress? Because I feel like it just totally transformed my schooling. Thank you very much for the call and for sharing your story, Catherine. Thank you. Some of this, I presume, is a question of cost. <laughs> How much does it cost to provide this kind of, of training or tutoring? Um, right now, I'm feeling really thankful to the M.A. Rooney Foundation because they are at a very minimal cost because they are a not-for-profit uh, or a foundation. I think that um, they charge for the manual, the training manual itself, um, for the teachers, but otherwise it's free. And they are right now um, training lots of teachers all over central Indiana right now. I think that it's going to take parents and people to drive uh, to say this is what we want, this is what we need, and, um, and maybe perhaps some legislation. Is a, But let's say, you know, that the problem with legislation is even if you know you put the idea in front of the legislature um that's not going to help us this coming school year it right, will be at right. the at the soonest right. the school year after that more likely a couple after that because it takes some time to ramp up all of this in the short term if people wanted and had the had the means to get tutoring to intervene with their kids how much would they expect could they expect that this is going to cost them Depends on where you go. Um, it's right now. I think the going rate sixty dollars an hour, twice a week. You really need two week, 
two hours of tutoring, so so it's it's one hundred and twenty a week, and and really somewhere north of five thousand for the year. That's um, very cost prohibitive for a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. For a lot of people. So a lot of people we we refer to Scottish Rite, but they also have a um, waiting list, and we also have a a network of of private individuals who um, who we know are well-trained, have been through a practicum experience, and tutor. Rebecca, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. What's on your mind? Well, I am a, uh, I am a person with dyslexia, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm about 40 years old. Um, we actually found it when I was in the 11th grade, and, um, and I made C's and D's most of my life. Until the 11th grade when I went to a fine arts center for music, and I wasn't getting the languages. Um, and so my, my vocal teacher was like, I don't understand what's going on here. You should be doing this. So they had me tested in the 11th grade mm-hmm. and um, found that I was dyslexic and several other um, dis- disabilities, which I then in college <clears throat> went on to a college that had a disability program. And um, and taught me how to get over a lot of it, how to get around a lot of it, and how to just accept some of it. And in that in that program, it was really interesting because, you know, I I will never spell anything correctly. <laughs> I I will never be able Joshua to... Joshua was chuckling. <laughs> he feels your pain. <laughs> and, and, I, and I will never... I will never be the person who sits down and, and reads... 50 novels in one day. I'm just, I'm just not that person. But but I am the person who is not disabled but has a difference. And I am the person who can stand there and say, I went and got my undergrad in music. And it took me, yes, another year and a half, but who cares? And, yes, I went on to get my Master's in Divinity and ordained. And, yes, it took me two more years, but who cares? <laughs> and And I am the person who stands up there Every Sunday and any time that I have to preach and say, says these things and says, look, I'm not perfect. I can do these things, and this is who I am. And, yes, someone's going to have to come behind me and check my spelling a million times. But I still am a person who has a voice. And it's become kind of a mantra in my life. And it's been interesting to watch the people who don't necessarily have this difference, who come up behind and say, you know what? I'm just scared to get up and talk, but if you can do this, then I can do this. And and so I'll I'll be a liturgist, you know, and yeah. I don't know, it's it's these things that come up behind you and, and you end up standing in this difference and making a difference. Mm-hmm. And I know that it sounds kind of, you know, like you're I don't know, but it's just one of those things that you have to accept about yourself. Well, and Rebecca, then not if I see if it I, as a bad thing. Yeah, if I could jump in, I think the most powerful thing I hear you saying here is the refrain, I am a person. I'm not defined by <laughs> by my challenges. I am a person. Thank you very much for calling and sharing your story with us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we've also gotten an email that I that normally I would allow the, the last word, but we've been talking about costs. And, Joshua, I think this is going to speak to you when I ask you that question okay. about where where you might be if it hadn't been caught. And I want to thank a listener named Clay for sending us this email because it is so powerful and it is so much on, on point. 
He says, I am a 54-year-old male. I was never diagnosed with dyslexia, mostly because growing up, it was an unknown condition. I was ridiculed for being lazy, got terrible grades, and barely graduated high school. It was not until I was almost 30 years old that I found out dyslexia is why letters jump around on the page and things I read now won't, won't say the same thing an hour from now. I went back to college 10 years ago, and after understanding and learning techniques for compensating for this condition, I graduated with a four-year degree with a 3.9 GPA. But it took me decades to understand and get over all the harsh treatment given from parents, siblings, teachers, employers, etc., thinking I must not be as good as them. Thank you for your program. I hope it helps children so they don't have to live 40 years like I did. I can look at all of the looks on your faces and realize <laughs> that's why we talked about this today, mm-hmm. folks, so that we can avoid outcomes like that. Clay, I do want to thank you very much for sharing your story and and writing this down. Um, I'd also like to thank my guests, Nancy Perry and Cheryl Clemens, and, of course, Joshua Clemens, who also bravely shared his story with us. I am John Kroll. You have been listening to No Limits. Thank you for joining us. No Limits is a production of 90.1 WFYI Public Radio, Indianapolis. Executive producer, Michelle Johnson. Producer, Shannon Cagle. Interactive media coordinator, Scott McAllister. Technical producers, Cedric Freeman and Chris Flood. And board engineer, Joe Hatcher. Abby Cherzini screens our calls. No Limits is made available through IPBS, Indiana's public broadcasting stations. (laughs) 